0: All right, we uh, are going to dive into a text tonight that when you first read through it, you kind of want to jump over it. It's one of those texts that you, know, you like the text that, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me. But when the, when a text challenges you, when it's uh, something that you got to really take a strong look at, uh, that's something that sometimes we like to just gloss over or jump over. Uh, because of the length, you'll see that the text is not at the top, so if you put all those verses together, you'll get it. It's uh, I'm going to read the text first, and then I'll go back and give you some background on it. It's First Peter chapter 2, verse 1, and it says this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So, that's our text, but in order to understand that, you got to see that the first word is the right. word, therefore, which connects it to the end of the last chapter. So, Here's kind of the premise of the lesson. I'm going to read this. It's at the top of the page. So here's where we're going. The Christian life often seems like a battle between living as who we truly are, children of God, and living how we used to as citizens of the world. Peter encourages these first century Christians toward holiness by reminding them that the very living word that saved them is the same word they need to keep growing into their promised salvation. So what he's saying there is there's a A tug of war going on in our soul. Do you want to act like a sinner or do you want to act like a Christian? Well, sometimes you have good days and you act like a Christian and sometimes you have bad days and you don't act like a Christian. We all should be encouraged in the fact that we're not going to get uh, perfected immediately. It's a process we get to go through. Uh, I had a conversation with somebody not too long ago and they said they were talking to somebody that believes that you can become perfect, free from sin in this life. Uh, that used to be a very popular doctrine in the hills of, the, of Kentucky and Tennessee. Um, it was something that people felt like you could really get to, uh, late 1800s doctrine. It's called the doctrine of perfectionism, and it's uh, a good goal. I, I'd rather you do that, but to say that you've arrived there immediately brings up pride, and you haven't quite dealt with your pride yet. It's a good goal, but none of us are going to be perfect in this lifetime. Only our Lord was perfect. And uh, when we became Christians, he gives us his perfect righteousness positionally, uh, but we still got to deal with our sinful nature on a moment-by-moment basis because the self always wants to rise up and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, We like to show other people how spiritual we are. We like to show people how smart we are. We like to show people how advanced we are. And anytime you want to bring glory to yourself rather than glory to Christ, you've missed it a little bit. So we've got this battle going on where we want either look people to look at us or we want people to see Jesus through us. So the way that we overcome that problem is that we grow in our spiritual lives. Uh, Spiritual growth inevitably leads to humility. Spiritual growth leads to uh, not a promotion of yourself, but a promotion of the Lord. Uh, One of the saddest things is when you see preachers who are going from church to church, to church, to church, to church, and it's always a bigger church. You know, bigger, 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 bigger. Because bigger is better, right? So, you know, if you watch those guys over a long period of time, they sure progress really fast, and and I'm sure some of them are really godly men with great talents and gifts from the Lord. But you look at the motivation. What are you doing this for? Are you doing this because you want the Lord to be glorified, or do you want yourself to be noticed? So, God will take care of getting you noticed. You just be faithful. So as we look at this, how do we grow in our spiritual lives? The first thing we see here is we are saved by the Word. This goes back to the last chapter and I want you to see the importance of the Word of God here because a lot of people these days think that you grow spiritually in various different ways. Uh, some of them need to the exclusion of the Word of God. But look what it says in verse 25. The Word of the Lord stands forever and this is the word that was preached to you. Now it's really interesting if you look at the two words there, word in the first part, in quotes, and then word in the second part. There are two words in English that are the same word, W-O-R-D. But in Greek, the first word there, the word of the Lord is the Logos, and then the second one, this is the word that was preached to you, is a rhema. There are two Greek words. The word rhema can be pronounced several different ways. I've heard preachers use rhema, rhema, but it's, it's basically like this. Here's the definition. Logos is a reference to the scriptures in general, the whole Bible. This is the word of God, the Logos. Whereas the rhema is the specific utterance of scripture. For example, on a Sunday, I won't preach from the whole book. I will preach from a particular text or even a verse. And the rhema is the specific utterance of a verse that's preached to us. So the rhema comes from the Logos, okay? Uh, This word that is preached is what leads to our being saved So here's an example of a rhema If you hear a preacher say For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life That's a specific rhema That the Holy Spirit then takes to a person's soul Faith then activated, believes that word And that person becomes saved Okay, So that's how the word works in salvation from the Logos, the rhema preached. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says it pierces the soul and spirit. Uh, it judges the, the heart, okay? The thoughts and intentions of the heart. <clears throat> so that's basically a picture of how you became a spiritual new creation in Christ, through the Word of God. So keep that in mind as we go to the next step, because what that same Word does that was preached to us also helps us to grow spiritually. Or sanctifies us. Uh, then, then we get to the second chapter, verse one. Now that you're a Christian, you got to do something. Rid yourselves. <coughs> we are stripped by the word. See, before you became a Christian, you had you were led by your desires, your lusts, your cravings. First uh, John says, "The pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh." Those are the things that characterize a worldly person, a person who lives by the things of this world. We all got that in us. Just because you become a Christian you're born again. You're not born complete. You're not born perfect. You're born again, which means the perfect life of Christ comes into a person who has a nasty sinful nature. Now the sinful nature has been crucified, but sometimes we don't like to listen to that. Sometimes we like to listen to our desires more than we like to listen to what the Word of God says. I heard somebody say the other day, I won't mention any names, it's not anybody around here, it was an interview that I saw on the internet, a guy who was, uh, he, he said he had met his wife in college and they were doing really great, and all of a sudden he met this other girl 13 months into his marriage and he said there was just something that happened to him. And it came over him, and he just felt like this, they were just made for each other. So here you're 13 months after being married, and you meet another girl, and you're made for each other. That's what desires are, okay? That's what the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life does. And all of a sudden, you've got a battle on your hands. I've heard, you've heard me say it like this through the years. There are just some people that you're going to meet that there's a chemical reaction with. That's the phrase that I use, chemical reaction. I've used that many times in counseling with folks. Chemical reactions are things that you don't control. They come out of the blue. You have no idea why it's there. You can meet somebody for the first time, and boom, you have a chemical reaction. That's what this gentleman had when he was explaining to this to this person about what had gone on the inside of him 13 months after his relationship with his wife started. So you got to be careful because these things are powerful and they feel natural. They feel normal. But is it what God wants us to follow, to grow spiritually? Not at all. And this is where you as a Christian, that we as Christians have to make a choice daily. Do you want to grow spiritually, yes or no? Well, you're going to have to realize that the war... That started when, you know, you became a Christian, when that Word of God came in you, started fighting the things of the flesh. Now you got a, a command, this is an imperative participle, which says, you get rid of it. You get you get rid of these following, fixing the list some things for us to get rid of. Now, have you ever said to a child, you know, you need to get rid of this in your life? Sure. Has anybody ever said to you, you need to get rid of this in your life? Sure. Same principle here. but. Here's what it really means. It means take something off, taking something off and putting it aside. And the picture in the Greek is clothing. When the apostle Peter says, rid yourselves, he's saying it's just like taking off some clothing and putting it aside, okay? Now if you've ever seen a child with a messy room, a child will have a messy room and they will go ahead and take their clothing and take it off and throw it on the side, on the ground. Uh, and leave it there. Isn't that a real treat when they just leave their clothing on the side and say, I'm just going to make a pile over here and hopefully mom will come and get it later or something like that? That's not exactly what we're talking about, but it is a good picture. You take off your clothes and you just you don't think about them anymore. That's what this is saying. Look, when it comes to the following areas, if you want to be spiritual, your job as a Christian is to, to get rid of this stuff and put it aside <coughs> and not go back to it later. And this is a metaphor for what happens with sin. What the Word of God does, we're now empowered by the Word of God to obey what Jesus wants us to do, and it teaches us that we've got to get rid of sin. And that's where the battle lies, because you're going to fight this to the day you die. I'll never forget Dr. J.W. McGorman, my professor of New Testament, taught the book of Romans at Southwestern Seminary. And uh, he gets up, this is an 80-year-old man. He was taking care of his daughter's son his grandchild because his daughter had left the reservation she went off and did something crazy so he and his wife at the age of 80 were taking care of like a eight or a nine-year-old child they were parents again and uh, I'll never forget him standing up in front of all these preachers and was men and women in the class he says let me tell you all something boys talking to the guys in the room he said it's never gonna leave you I'm thinking what is he talking about he said, What I have learned, he said, when I was in my 40s and 50s, I thought all those desires of the flesh, when I got old, I wouldn't have to deal with them anymore. He said, But let me tell you, I'm standing before you at 80 years of age, and they're all still there. He says, Kind of embarrassing, but they're all still there. All the desires of the flesh are still there at 80 years of age. He said, You got to fight. He said, You just can't assume you're going to have victory you got to be a willing participant. The Bible says get rid of that means you've got to make a determination to get rid of. Okay. You don't want that sin in your life. You don't compromise with sin. Okay. Notice what it says in the box there. Peter warned his readers to lay aside certain wrong attitudes of heart that would hinder their appetite and spiritual growth. When you don't lay these things aside, they're a hindrance. Let me put it to you like this. There are some things, I mentioned chemical reactions before, This isn't necessarily a chemical reaction, but it's in the same category. There are some things that dominate our thinking. It doesn't necessarily have to be a relationship between another person. It could be you're mad at somebody and you want to get vengeance on that person. It dominates your thinking. Or perhaps somebody hurts you and you have a bitter attitude toward them. And you like that. So in your mind you're thinking, oh, I just love seeing them suffer. Oh, I just love seeing bad things happen to them. You know, it's kind of like James and John. Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven? That kind of thing. When you don't want the best for somebody, you know, Jesus says, love your enemies, but you're kind of like, no, I like it a whole lot better, hating my enemies. So the desires of the flesh take over and guide us more than the Bible does, the Word of God does. So when the Bible says get rid of this stuff, that doesn't mean God wants your opinion on it. It doesn't mean God wants to negotiate 80% of the things you want to get that he wants you to get rid of and you can keep your 20%. You know, the old illustration is the the tour of the house where you take somebody into your house and you give them a tour. Oh, this is the living room. It's so wonderful. And this is the kitchen. And this is the upstairs bedroom. And then they go by and they see this door and they say, don't open that. That's the closet. You can't see what's in the closet. Why? For obvious reasons. What's in closets? Things we don't want people to see. But you get very defensive, and when the Lord takes a tour of your house, you don't want him to get a tour of certain parts of your life that you've got the door shut on. God says, I want everything transparent. I want everything open. I said this to my kids the other day. I said, look, in this house, everything's open. Now, mom and dad can not tell you everything because mom and dad are mom and dad. But when it comes to you telling us stuff, there are no secrets. We want to know. Does that mean they're going to tell me everything? No, but I want them to know that's the way it should be. No secrets. Let's go to the third part. Not only are we saved by the Word, and this Word strips us of certain desires that we have, but here's how you grow in your spiritual life. The word sanctification it means set apart. You know, one of the things that I love to do every time I, I do it on my sermons for Sunday morning, I do it on my Wednesday night Bible studies, I, I have, a, if you'll notice, in my messy office, I have like ten Bibles right behind my desk. I did this all afternoon today, so I'm familiar with it. Still not finished with it, because of what I'm preaching on Sunday. But I have these ten Bibles in us: the Warren Wiersbe study Bible, the Ancient Fathers study Bible, which is like 1600, 1800 years ago. You can read the spiritual giants of the past and their quotes on and their interpretation of certain verses of Scripture. These are people that are sanctified. These are people that are holy. These are people that, though dead, they still speak. They're the spiritual giants of the faith. And man, I go in there and I just go, I'm just hungry to learn from these folks because they've gone before us. They've trod the ancient paths and they've made a path for us to follow. So I want to make sure I'm right on top of it when it comes to scripture interpretation. So I'll go to them and I'll say, okay, am I off here? Am I right here? I want to learn from the, the spiritual giants of the past. Well, when you're getting sanctified by the Word, guess what God's doing? He's making you a spiritual, mature giant. Now, you may not be where you want to be, but we're to grow like a tree planted by the streams of water. We're growing slowly, Psalm 1 says, but we're growing, okay? You might not be where you want to be, the old preachers used to say, but you're not what you used to be. So you're spiritually growing. Well, in these areas particularly, there are five areas that are listed here that we're to get rid of. And if you want to grow spiritually, here's what they are. Uh, it says in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So let's look at these words and kind of see what they are. Peter says, get rid of these things. Malice is a word for evil that includes hostility with an intent to do harm. I mentioned this a little earlier. You want, you want somebody to be harmed for what they've done to you. you. You like the fact that they got hurt. And the Bible says, look, when it comes to malice, that's not not to have a place in the life of a christian secondly deceit using dishonesty to achieve something and this is something that we all naturally have jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things so deceit is something that's very common okay Uh, jacob was a deceiver it's all throughout scripture you get to see this. satan is a deceiver and one of the things that's so unique about us, the Bible says, is you know who we deceive easily? We deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves by, and we're really good at it. We, we, we trick ourselves into thinking we can do something and we, we can't. One time my wife and I went to this, shortly after we were married, we went to this place in Texas, and they promised you this great membership in a club if you would just join. And we didn't know how much the fee was. We sat through the little lecture and we thought 50 bucks. They came back, it was like $1,500. We're like, are you kidding me? We're not doing that. But then they just chisel at you and chisel at you and chisel at you. And we agreed to a lower price. And as I was watching them walk out, I saw two guys just high-five each other. They got us. They deceived us. And i uh, I, I kind of embarrassing myself as a preacher now, but because we got taken to the cleaners, and it was our fault. We allowed ourselves to get deceived. I talked to Claire. I said, man, we got to get some of that money back. So after a while, we would try to negotiate with them. And they said, no. I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Can you imagine your preacher doing this? I said, I'm going to go down in front of your place of employment with a sign and hold it up and say, don't buy here. They're going to rip you off, something like that. Finally, I got their attention, and they agreed to make a deal with us after I stood my ground, I guess. Would I have ever done that? Probably not. But at that point in my life, I was you know, easily deceived, not only of others but myself. Uh, shouldn't have done it that's what happens when you allow yourself to be deceived. Third thing is hypocrisy. This is like an actor wearing a mask playing a role. How many times through the years have you heard people say, I don't go to church because of all them hypocrites? Okay, it's one of the one of the favorite things that people like to use against Christians. But sadly, you know, sometimes they're telling the truth. Okay? Sad, but a lot of times they're telling the truth. We're to get rid of that. Next thing is envy. The attitude that resents others' prosperity, you want something somebody else has, and you're envious. Okay, uh, That is an easy one to fall into, because we tend to think it's only money, but it's not. You could be envious of another person's looks. Uh, the Bible says don't covet your neighbor's wife or your spouse or their property or their houses. Or There are a lot of things that you can covet, okay, that you can desire that somebody else has. Uh, don't be envious of that. What does it say about the Apostle Paul? Or the Apostle Paul says in the, the book of Philippians, be content with what you have. Learn the attitude of contentedness. Uh, lastly, slander of every kind. When you defame another's character, usually behind their back. Boy, this is one that we love, isn't it? And it's sad because a lot of times this will eventually come out because some of you will come up and say, Had you said something about somebody or somebody said something about you? And this kind of is the, the left hand to hypocrisy on the right hand, they kind of go together. Uh, slander is a condition of the heart. If you're speaking from the heart, out of the mouth comes slander. Uh, the devil loves it. Growth is essential in the life of holiness. Before Christians can grow, they must first be planted in the soil of love. And their way for growth must be cleared by removing the weeds of these things. Sin, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, enver, and slander. Because these things crowd out the word of God in their lives. So, if you want to grow spiritually, you got to weed the garden. Okay? And these five weeds, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, were to get rid of those things, which means on a daily basis, kind of allow the Word of God to teach you, allow the Word of God to train you, that you don't have to, to live by these things. Okay? That's